1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560. The answer.
0: Of the morning, Dan and Amy. Do the House Republicans finally, 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 finally have a consensus candidate for House Speaker in Louisiana? Republican Mike Johnson, who sits on the House Judiciary Committee, a constitutional lawyer by background. Uh, you've seen him in some very good exchanges, uh, just even recently, with the work the Judiciary Committee has been doing on, uh, well, in particular. All things related to Biden Incorporated, three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A Turnkey Pro Text Line. This after Tom Emmer from Minnesota, who received the endorsement of Kevin McCarthy over the weekend, but definitely not the endorsement of President former President Trump, withdrew under the realization that he had too many people who were committed to voting against him to win the vote. Very interesting goings on here because we've had this discussion the other day about uh, what Gates initiated and uh, whether or not he owed the caucus an apology, he in particular, or whether this was finally someone standing up and saying what needed to be said and doing what needed to be done to send a shot across the bow of the swamp. Well, uh, Matt Gates voted for Tom Emmer. You know, in the conference where they were going to select the uh the person to level up for a formal vote in the House. He voted for Tom Emmer. So for those who uh, thought that uh Gates was freelance was uh was uh, fronting for Donald Trump. Um clearly not. Here's what Trump had to say about Tom Emmer. Totally out of touch with Republican voters. I have many wonderful friends wanting to be Speaker of the House. Some are truly great warriors. Rhino Tom Emmer, who I do not know well, is not one of them. He never respected the power of a Trump endorsement or the breadth and scope of MAGA. He fought me all the way and actually spent more time defending Ilhan Omar than he did me. He's totally out of touch with Republican voters, and so on and so forth. By the way, it wasn't only Trump. Jim Banks, from Indiana, who's uh, they're going to be the Republican nominee for the Senate seat that uh, is being vacated.
2: He's been on our show a few times.
0: Uh, I supported this is Jim Banks. I supported uh, you know, Mike Braun because just to finish the thought, my Indiana Mike Braun running for governor, vacating the seats So Jim Banks. OK, um, t- this is what Jim Banks said. I supported every Republican nominee to be Speaker of the House so far, but I will not vote for Tom Emmer on the House floor. The left flank of our conference, block speaker-designee Jim Jordan, then nominated the single most liberal member of our leadership to continue business as usual in Washington. They're holding our conference hostage and pushing Republicans to betray our voters and abandon our promises to the American people. I won't go along with it. That's Jim Banks. So that was the kind of opposition that Tom Emmer knew he was facing and knew he wasn't going to get home, so he withdrew and now uh, level up Mike Johnson. But back to Gates. So it's clear, isn't it? That Gates was freelancing for his own self-interest this entire time. He wasn't uh, uh, fronting for Trump, and he uh, wasn't making this sort of principled stand that he's been credited in some quarters as making. Because you turn around and you vote he's for selfish. a person yeah. that just care that that both Trump and uh, Jim Banks and other pretty uh, strong conservative in the caucus. Described as such. Now, say, well, Kevin McCarthy endorsed him over the weekend. Yeah, I know. He was part of Kevin McCarthy's leadership team. So it's not that particularly surprising.
2: But didn't they not like Emerson because he was pro same or he he was okay with same sex marriage? You
0: just heard You just heard Jim Jordan, the single most liberal member of our leadership to continue business as usual in Washington. It's not a single issue. It's categorical. And uh, this is, by the way, something that people might want to consider. The fact that Tom Emmer was able to get the number of votes he did to be the speaker designee, however briefly, tells you something about how complicated that caucus was. Now, one thing uh, I sort of thought and watching this play out and it may still will. I mean, if 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 you can't get behind Mike Johnson, who John Gizzi wrote a good piece about this, you know, he has very little baggage. He seems to be pretty well liked. He doesn't have. Um, too many arrows uh, from inside the caucus aimed in his direction, it would seem. But again, it's not even necessarily about Mike Johnson. It's about about the balance of power within the caucus and everybody's, you know, uh, not everybody's, but some people's personal interests at odds with one another. That's the issue. Uh, Or that's the complication. But one thing I thought, just watching this play out over the last several days, including uh then the, the uh, endorsement of emmer by mccarthy i almost think uh, uh, this is just intuition i don't know but i almost think that mccarthy is orchestrating this uh, one one person after another leveled up and is felled, level up and is felled, and you, you know where do you come to at the end of the day you go all the way back to mccarthy and say well look th- He's the, the one guy who was able, I know it took 15 votes, but he was the one the guy that able to get the necessary votes. Maybe he's the only guy that can get the necessary votes, particularly after what happened. If you have some contrition on behalf of the, the hateful eight and, um, and and you have Kevin McCarthy and, and seeing him on, on Meet the Press on Sunday, so you know, still sticking around and uh, being very public and leveraging the post he I sort of still occupies. Uh, it's just interesting. And I'll tell you what, if he is able to orchestrate this, if he was able to actually climb back from being deposed, then it would tell me that he should be speaker. Three if one. Able if you're able to put all that back together,
2: three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, six four six three six. Type in da, then a quick comment. Yeah, midday yesterday, I saw you know a headline: Republicans might uh, are so desperate, McCarthy is floating himself as speaker with Jim Jordan as his lieutenant.
0: Well, we're it's uh, we're we're right back to January, right. uh, so we'll see. I mean, Mike Johnson is. Uh, a fine choice. Okay. And, you know, if I was in the, the House Republican caucus, I'd be happy to vote for Mike Johnson. But but, you know, again, is this this is this really about Mike Johnson or the quality of whoever is leveled up next anymore? Or is it about a couple of warring factions that each have the ability to prevent the other from getting the person they want?
2: I mean, we're but gonna is see. he going to be ousted a few months later? I mean, we're going to go through this. Every time Matt Gates has a, a hissy fit.
0: Well, we're going to see first. Rule. We're first going to. Uh, it's not about the it's not really about the rule anymore. It's about the, the conduct. And we're going to see. We're going to see if uh, Mike Johnson passes the test today, I suppose. Dan
1: and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560 news insight into what it means and the sharpest opinion there's only one station in chicago where you can turn and it's this one we're am 560 the answer
0: top of the morning dan and amy so that uh community meeting that we've been advertising since uh, last week's uh, street protests in brighton park over the Migrantville that is being stood up uh, at 38th in California, uh, expected to house up to 2,000 individuals?
2: Yep, that's the plan. It's pretty big. They're going to start at 500, then expand to 2,000. Um, and It includes housing amenities, Dan, 24-hour unarmed security, uh, metal detector to go through, a van transportation if you need to go to the doctor, if your kids have to go to school, Why three metal meals detector? a day. Pardon?
0: Why, why is there a metal detector? I don't know. That's what it is, says. Is that is that is that very welcoming?
2: <laughs> I think I, that's a good question. Well,
0: what are you assuming about the uh, future residents of that space?
2: Well, the biggest point of contention with a lot of people is that there's 11 p.m. curfew, which means if people are out getting their drink on or, you know, or even working late till, you know. What if you're working third shift? Right. Then you can't get back in. So then you're going to be out on the streets.
0: So I don't understand that. That's not very welcoming. Is this is this a is this a prison camp or is this housing that we're standing up to welcome people uh, as equivalent to U.S. citizens? I mean, they're here. Uh, The city of Chicago has decided that they're legal and entitled to taxpayer funded benefits. So they should be able to move around freely, shouldn't they? 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600, turnkeypro line, 64636DA, pro text line. If, uh, if uh, other residents of Brighton Park or any other neighborhood in the city or the, or any other community in the state or any other state in the nation, if they can move about freely without having metal detectors, having to pass through metal detectors to enter their home, even a temporary home, yeah. then why is that being... Instituted here. Well, what are I'm, they saying about the
2: migrants? Are they saying that they're, you know, violent in nature? Because some, you know, it's yes. Racist it's racist and
0: xenophobic.
2: Yes. Well, one person said it best at this um, meeting last night, which, by the way, it was standing room only and people, dozens of people, were outside trying to get in the meeting. Um, put, it, put it best. Say, I, I don't want to give them my tax dollars. All my people, my neighbors were being left out. Without the money, should come to us. We need it. All the resources they're getting, we need it.
0: Yeah, well, the money maybe should stay with you, uh, so you don't. Uh, you're not so dependent on the city. How about that in the first place? But I digress. Yeah, I understand. Um, the uh, there were definitely some uh, proponents, though, of the 2,000 person ten city that's being set up, uh, Brandonville. Uh, Here are a couple of those who spoke yesterday.
4: As a teacher, one of the demands that I would want is to see more, not just in terms of housing, the need
5: to also say that students are going to need support in the classrooms. What's happening here is not an either-or. We can welcome our new neighbors and we can have a thriving, healthy community.
0: No question, as long as everybody gets wanded before they go home. (laughs) 312-642-5600, pro 646-36-DA, turnkey.protoxone. As a teacher, one of my demands, oh, Oh. I I know, you know, CTU, they're used to just demanding things. I get it. One of my demands is help in school. So not only the $30,000 that's spent per pupil in CPS at present, Uh but then you're going to have to have additional personnel uh, to assist people with, I guess, you know, I would think ESL needs and any other
2: needs. It's just weird because people are speaking out of both sides of their mouth. Like, they want to welcome them, but they don't. We can welcome our new neighbors, welcome. and we can
6: have a thriving, healthy oh, community. Chicago's winter are brutal. migrants in the tennis, such conditions is nothing short of inhumane.
0: Yeah, well, I don't think that that second uh, person, that gentleman, was speaking as a proponent of the 10 cities. But yeah, um, I understand the, the, this, is, this is the problem. Reality is running into ideology and it's twisting people in knots. That's, that's what's happening. So they're trying to figure out how they can live their values without having to feel the impact of living with mm-hmm. their values. It's complicated. Alderman Ramirez was there. Oh gosh, I'm so glad she recovered from that attack. Uh, She uh, was there, and she offered this sort of uh, curious distinction. It's a distinction without a particular importance, but nonetheless, this was her big play.
5: I want to make clear that this lot is different from a Mudson Park. That park is owned by the city, and this lot is privately owned.
0: So? What? Uh, Okay. What? So I, the actual land is not public land. It's not a public structure. But, but what are you trying to say? They're not receiving taxpayer-funded benefits? Of course they are. Who's paying for all this? And by the way, since you brought it up, I'd like to know who does own the land and what the terms of the lease agreement are because the city's obviously picking up the tab on that too. Yeah, they said it's so, 10 acres, which is so, a lot of land. So uh, this is private. It's not a park district. So what? I think you're missing the force for the twigs, Alder Human. Well, and by the way, the, her defense, you know, her ongoing defense that uh, uh, that she was uh, not told about this. I was. This is what she said. I was not aware that the city trucks had been working on the lot until after the fact. I did not have Aldermanic prerogative in this decision. I was not asked or given a vote. Uh, 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 fine. So what are you doing about
2: it now? It sounds like she can't do anything about it. I mean, that's the way she made it sound last night.
5: I was not aware that the city trucks had been working on the lot after the
2: fact. People knew they were working. I did not have aldermanic prerogative in this decision. I was not asked or given a vote. Don't yeah. alderman wield great power in this city? Well. Without handing out. Well, certainly like liquor licenses and things like that. I mean.
0: On yeah, some things, yes, on some things, less so. It's a feudal system. You have a the king and you have feudal lords, 50 feudal lords. But that's not enough. This, like, I, I'm a victim, too, or I'm blindsided just like you. Um, You're the older human. So what are you doing about it now, for example, since there are other? Here's something you could do. Okay. Uh, since there are other similarly situated alder humans representing other similarly situated wards when it comes to this, like all 50 of them that have been tasked to find a, at least a two-acre plot to stand up more BLM brandon maybe you put together a coalition of those uh, who do not support bringing 2,000 people into the... Community willy-nilly and uh, expending all these this uh, public dough to provide for that. Maybe you put together a group and you say, "Well, here's the deal, BLM Brandon. We're not doing that. And if you try to ram it down our throats, then you know we can be uh, particularly obstreperous on all sorts of other things that will come before the city council in the coming." days and weeks and months and years i mean you certainly maybe she can't stop it now as one alder human but you have a lot of other alder humans who are in the same position and maybe somebody should be if they really are serious about it and maybe that's the real rub it's not really serious about it it's the statement made behind a podium at a raucous community meeting you know, yeah. don't blame her. She did what she could. She's just as in the dark as we are. Well, then maybe you need a new alder human if uh, somebody's just as in the dark as you, because that's her job. It's not your job. You elected her to do that job. Is she doing that job? Is she thinking creatively about ways to respond to being left in the dark if you take her at her word? That's not what I that's what I'm not hearing from her. And many others. This is just an example we're talking about now that highlights the point. Corey and Woodlawn, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
7: Uh, Morning, guys. You know, um, Freeman's free-to-choose theories that are created to the grave that really needs to be reworked because of this migrant situation. And also, these aldermen, they are very weird. They control the power of the purse, (laughs) but they act like they have no power of the purse. Shut down Brandon Johnson's money spigot, and this all will come to an end. That's all they have to do. Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks for the call, Corey. I still wanted Corey to run for mayor of Chicago. Oh maybe, yeah, maybe next time. Uh, Sam
7: in Brighton Park. Hey, good morning, uh, Dan and Amy. Uh, just then, uh, you know, I was at the uh, the meeting last night, and they packed half the room with uh, the CTU people, and they mm-hmm. shut the door on the residents. So, just like you said last week, you know, this this whole thing was meaningless. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the call, I know Sam. a bus company
2: Appreciate that took it. a bunch of the CTU people there yesterday to the meeting.
0: Well, you know how the you know CTU was oh, there work. when you started hearing the chant puede" during the meeting. Yeah. It was standard. Why issue. are they
2: so, like, foaming at the mouth to have these tent cities erected? CTU. I don't understand this one.
0: What What don't you understand? You, you yep. have no idea why the CTU would support this.
2: Well, I, well, just help me out. I'm having a bad week. I don't know. <laughs>
8: being honest.
2: I mean, was it because they want to fill the classroom? We already have 1,400 migrant children that are now taking the places of kids who left during COVID lockdowns and for people that fled the city and the state because it's so poorly governed.
0: Why do why do these same uh, – why does CTU and the same uh, coalition forces of the left, why do they support Sanctuary City and Sanctuary State in the first place? Why do they not uh, – Feel compelled to secure our borders. I mean, why? You know, why? Essentially, do they promote open borders? What's their disposition? Oh, What's their socialists. well? What? Yeah, but what, what? do they want?
2: To control more people. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. mean,
0: uh, you you don't even have to go great replacement theory. You, it's uh, state dependence. Yeah. If you have somebody dependent, you have a loyal voter. They want state dependents. They want um, uh, more mascots because that's how they treat migrants and other coalition partners. The vanguard, the Leninist vanguard class—that's how they treat them as your mascots. I want more of them.
2: Okay, that makes and, sense. And
0: uh, this is, and then then they get to virtue signal about it. They get to call anybody who opposes this, even though the room is full of migrants. Uh, Asian migrants, Asian-American mig- well, Asian American mi- immigrants, and uh, Latino immigrants. I mean, that room was full of them. But if anybody opposes this, you're a xenophobe, you're a racist, you're a MAGA, uh, MAGA nationalist, and so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a great twofer. They get to, they believe, add to their ranks by adding to state dependence, thus the need for an ever-increasing... Uh, amount of government services for all people migrants and citizens alike and you get to demonize the other side in the process when anybody tries to bring common sense to this and make important distinctions and uh, discuss the prioritization of scarce resources as cory was mentioning and so forth yeah and then the people that went along, you know, what uh, some may call useful idiots, the people that have gone, have gone along with this ideology and uh, cise puede themselves into this position. Well, now, as I said, they're a bit twisted up. It was fun when it was just all protesting and ranting against honkies. And now it's in my backyard and it's yeah. a lot less fun. Eduardo, Tampa Bay.
9: Yeah, good morning. I used to live over there in uh, 39th and uh, California in the 90s, and they have a gang problem over there. I mean, 26th in Cal is not too far away. Maybe they should have gone over there, or maybe even on top of those railroad tracks on 37th in California.
0: Okay, thanks for the call, Eduardo. I'd like to house the city council at 26th in California. <laughs> Saves time. Yeah. George in Naperville.
9: Yeah, the city needs to host mixers with the migrants and residents, and release some of this content
10: with dining, dancing, and dreaming. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's great—dining, dancing, and dreaming. Yeah, mixers. That's... That would actually—you know what? Welcome, the, we should have a big welcoming party, you know, like a big block party.
0: I, I absolutely. There's this is there's the, there's nothing here that a couple of ice cream socials can't fix.
2: Movie night, you know. There's a lot of stuff we could do, but I like that Brandonville. When did when did you come up with that one? That's well, good. I
0: mean, it's just you know, we had Romvilles on uh, uh, Lower Wacker, Brandonvilles. They mm-hmm. come up with something better than that. That's be, become a bit prosaic. Villes. No, we didn't Villes, I don't remember. Lorivilles or something. I mean, it's been the same. It's just the same problem. It's just sort of different iterations of the same problem because you have the same type of policymakers producing or pushing the same policies that produce the same problems. I mean, it's just pretty uh, linear.
2: I like Brandonville, though.
0: Nick in uh, Northwest Side.
7: Yeah, thank you. Good morning, everybody. I've been saying for decades that south of our border and south of Europe, it's basically the same problem as far as this uh, migration there. Uh, some of these governments are either incompetent or corrupt or somehow just not able to get a handle on things. they got to let the men know. If you make four or five babies and you can't afford to take care of them, uh, don't, you know, assume that everything going to be okay by just going north to either America or to Europe. Because uh, eventually, like what's happening here, even people who are black or brown and uh, are saying about these uh, migrants coming in that you know, look, what about us? You know, we've been told we can't get this fixed here or that, and you're fixing everything up for them, you know, and it's creating a problem all right, and now in about another week, we're going to have uh, very cold weather at night around Halloween. So uh, well, then it's going to be an emergency. We, uh, we got to keep them warm, you know. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's always getting out of control. and never gets fixed, and I thank you.
0: Thanks for the call. Well, we'll build some tent cities in, um, well, let's see, where can we go that's warm? Um,
2: hmm. That's where
0: do you see we go that's warm? Oh, Venezuela. Yeah. yeah. We got, that's warm there. Mexico, it's warm. Latin America. Uh-huh.
2: Got a text message. Dan and Amy, Pastor Corey Brooks is building the perfect facility for the city to take over for immigrants.
0: I don't think that's Corey Brooks's plan.
2: No, it's not his plan.
0: Uh, Julie Gamez, uh, 60 years old, 16-year resident of Brighton Park. Uh, we need to have security here, and there is none. I'm out at 4 in the morning, and I don't see a single patrol car. There have been robberies. There have been beatings, shootings. I'm an immigrant and I know that we need to help them, but there has to be another place for them to go. Let's fix our problems first. And of course, the proper response to that sentiment is racist and xenophobe. Yeah. Tony Rosell.
7: You know, speaking of 26th in California, there are several vacant divisions there that hold 800 to
9: 1,000 people.
0: All right, so maybe the aldermen and their families, you thinking?
9: Thanks. <laughs>
0: Thanks for the call, Tony. Extended families. Uh, I, I, well, I hope somebody does ask. Mental detectors and yeah, I mean, curfews. These are adults. What gives? What, what are you trying to tell us about the migrants?
2: Putting single men with families, and it's not going to be a good situation. I mean, well, they said they're going to try to have a family section, and then...
0: Uh, excuse me. Yes, these, are mag- these are magical people. Just like uh, just like uh, trannies. Mm-hmm. They're magical people. They can do no wrong. They only offer benefits, you see. So I don't understand all this uh, talk about security and so on and so forth.
2: I ran into a police officer yesterday from the 19th. He's just like, this is exhausting. I don't want to come to work. I mean, it's, we can't, it, it's sick. People are sick. They've had different diseases, you know, like lice or... Scabies, flu. Yeah. It's like, enough. Can you imagine going to work every day in, in your space? Like, if we came into the station today and we had 75 people living here, day after day after day, month after month,
0: uh, I'd send them to Oak Park. Dave in Wakanda, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
7: I got a great place for them. It's got a lakefront view, a pool, a basketball court. Isn't Michael Jordan's
0: former palatial estate still available? It is, and you know, um, yeah. and and Highland Park or the or Lake, it, yeah, and Highland Park or Lake County could pick that up for a song, you know, relative to the exactly. original asking price. I think. Thanks for the call, Dave. And I think there's probably, I think it's just so garish with the twenty threes everywhere. I think a lot of the migrants would feel uncomfortable there.
2: Would it be a microaggression?
0: It might be. I don't know if that if <laughs> uh, they would feel. Um, but no, I like it. I mean, again, um, for these uh, well-off communities, the North Shore is a good place to start. Western suburbs too. You know, wh- why does uh, Governor Spalding have to dangle dollars in front of you? Um, th- these are you. You you're welcoming people. Um, you are the leading lights of the left. You are. Uh, proponents of all the policies that you see being in- enacted and exacted in the city. What? Well, where's the volunteer spirit that we expect from our betters on the North Shore
1: and the Western Burbs? Still waiting. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on am five sixty. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So, uh, you know, veto session. Speaking of uh, more room at 26th and Cal, the General Assembly and uh, their extended families... Not a bad place for them as well. Certainly at the Chicago Caucus. So you throw them in with the alder humans. Good place to stay. Create more space in the community for migrants. Uh, so the General Assembly uh, in session, veto, is to dither around and posture and so forth, which they do you know, in regular session as well, but that's sort of a year-end dithering uh, before the holidays set in. You know, catch up with old friends, And it's the last gasp for the one positive program that has been created by the state of Illinois. Maybe in my lifetime, I, I, I honestly I can't think of something else where I say, well, you know, that's it's great that we have that agency, that program. This was you know, important legislation to improve the quality of life and empower people. To live their lives independently. Uh, honestly, the Textbook Scholarship Program is about the only thing that comes to mind. And you know, I've been in the political arena in Illinois since '94, so it's been a bit. But the Textbook Scholarship Program. There's this watered-down, bulgy version that's uh, was filed by a couple of Democrats that will uh, probably uh, uh, die uh, peacefully. No attention paid. No ruckus kicked up. We finally got around to profiling <laughs> one of the scholarship families. Uh, there's 9,500 of them. There's another twenty-five, thirty thousand 30,000 on the waiting list. You'd think people could find them if they were interested. Now, now it's time to check the box. I mean, you know, Craig Wall's okay, but a little late in the game. I suppose better late than never. Greg Wall interviewing Patricia Hale and her son Ian. Uh, he's a freshman at Leo. She wants him to stay at Leo. Without the tax credit scholarship that he is currently enjoying, it's going to be difficult.
11: Kimberly White and her 15-year-old son, Ian White Holmes, have more on their minds these days than his schooling. They're worried about the future of the Invest in Kids Act. Ian, who's a freshman at Leo Catholic High School, benefits from a scholarship program that gives tax credits to donors, providing a scholarship that covers about 90% of Ian's tuition.
2: Almost six years ago, Ian's father passed away. And by him passing away, we really had no financial support. So with the scholarships, it's helping us get through those humps and those lumps
11: that we go through. If lawmakers do not extend the program, it could eliminate the financial help that more than 9,600 low-income students are currently getting. Um,
0: that's, so, yeah, so I, I juxtapose names. So Ian, Patricia White and her son Ian. Uh, it's going to shock you to learn yeah. that Patricia and her son Ian are black. Why would this be shocking to you? Because you look to the teachers unions in Chicago and Illinois as the uh, repositories of truth. And their position on the tax credit scholarship program and why it should be killed is because it just is a scholarship program for honkies. That's what they said. I didn't use the word honkies, but that's what they said. It's just a scholarship program for whites. Well, in fact, 100% um, of the scholarships are currently awarded to families with demonstrated financial need, and more than half of the scholarship recipients are students of color. But I know that, you know, that little factoid doesn't matter because we'll just go with the spin of the teachers' unions and the political power structure that uh, finances them and vice versa, Right. We'll just go with that. 312-642-5600,
2: turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment.
0: I mean, do you you care if this goes or stays? I really don't know. I really don't know if people do or not. And I I say that because uh, a lot of the uh, putative proponents of the scholarship program, including people that I respect and have worked with before, uh, they don't really seem to care that much. Even really? those who have invested a lot of money,
2: even donors, like, they don't. They're losing yes. steam. Why?
0: I mean, do, do you do you see? Um, I mean, do you see? a uh, community meetings like you saw at uh, Kelly High School in Brighton Park last night? Anywhere going on? Do you see people outside of uh, the offices of state legislators, of the governor? Or do you do? You, I mean, are you seeing seeing, uh, advertising campaigns? What what are you seeing that would show any evidence of any concern, any interest in this? I mean, it's just general apathy. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like it. It'd be nice if it stays. It would help those kids. But if it goes, you know, it goes. No big deal.
2: What about the kids? What about the 9,500 kids, which you said most are from low-income homes? Half of them are minorities. What's going to happen to them? Do they have to go back to their crappy public school?
0: Well, I mean, obviously, this is they don't have to do anything, but the, the question is how many families are going to be able to put together the resources to continue to send them to the schools they're at now? Or how many families are going to be lucky enough to arrange some kind of um, you know, payment option or scholarship deal with the individual schools? And nobody knows the answer to that. I don't know. Some will and some won't. I sus—I suspect, right? Is that obvious? But I mean, the question is, does anybody care? I- I- on this issue, again, even with the proponents, i I feel like we're screaming into the abyss on this show. I feel like I've been doing that publicly and privately. I really do. I mean, there are others. There are um, folks that you know, founded Empower Illinois, like Miles Mendoza, and there are school choice advocates that are aggressive and are committed and see this as the tragedy it is, the, the scholarship program going away. But there are a whole host of others, the institutional players, that seem positively indifferent, and yet you're going to talk about uh, turning around Chicago and extending opportunity and this – this is the one program.
2: The one positive thing that you had in your life for the state of Illinois. My,
0: certainly my adult life. I mean, I, yeah. I you know, and frankly, going back pre my entrance into politics, I mean, that was the big Jim Thompson era. And then you had, uh, what I don't know, Kerner went to prison and uh, uh, going back to Ogilvy, who instituted the income tax. I mean, uh, one positive program in in everybody's lifetime who was born – after 1968 I think and it's just I just I just um I can't say I'm shocked I'm just exasperated over the indifference oh, all the people I'm for the downtrodden I'm for giving people who uh, need a hand up a a hand up in terms of opportunity, not opportunity, because I want them to be independent. I want these people that uh, uh, you know don't have the resources to access the opportunities I do to access those opportunities as well. Because you know there's a lot of talent out there that goes undeveloped because uh, they're put into these uh, totalitarian reeducation camps. That are indifferent to their ability to read and do math. I'm talking about CPS, for right. example, but not she, limited to CPS.
2: I sent you Jan Schakowsky's tweet. She wrote, As a former elementary school teacher, I'm a strong supporter of our nation's public schools, blah, blah, blah. It's past time for the Illinois Investing Kids program to finally sunset. Why is she getting involved? I mean, it's not. Her, as a, as a
0: former educator, I'm against education.
2: Right, exactly. Josh
0: Hale. Josh Hale is the, that's the name I was conflating with uh, Patricia White and her son, Ian. Josh Hale is the uh, head of the Big Shoulders Fund. They raise, a, I've been to that fundraiser, they raise a big money. I mean, they they these fundraisers, the big fundraiser they do is like a, that's a seven figure, probably mid seven figure raise. And they give out a lot of scholarships, so they do a lot of good work. Uh, and they administer some of the scholarships that are provided through the tax credit scholarship program. But. Here's Josh Hale.
11: Josh Hale is president of the Big Shoulders Fund, which helps administer some of the scholarships.
1: There are also another 25, 26,000 children on the waiting list. So it shows the interest in this. It's not the solution. It is part of a solution to a more equitable educational
11: landscape in the state of Illinois.
0: That's a fine rhetorical position to take. What has uh, Big Shoulders done politically? I know this is um, – I'm, I'm blaspheming right now. That's okay. I can take the heat. Big Shoulders, as I said, done a lot of great things. A lot of great people support it, provide a lot of scholarships that have gotten a lot of kids educated. But if you want to scale that, like the tax credit scholarship program would, then you have to be politically savvy and courageous. And um, political savvy and courage are in short supply, including within the pro scholarship movement, I'm sorry to say. There'll be people who recoil at that and. We've done more than you've done, Dan, and so on and so forth. Yeah, okay. I'm just describing the landscape, and I'm describing the landscape in which a tax credit scholarship program that you just described, 9,600 families, 25 to 30,000 people on the waiting list. If you got more donations and more uh, uh, marketing for the program, that waiting list, especially with what's happening in schools all over the state, not just in Chicago— that would grow by leaps and bounds it would grow exponentially particularly over the last uh, over the next 5 to 10 years how do we know this because we've seen it in other states this isn't some abstraction this isn't a guess the scholarship program in the state of Florida which is the biggest in the nation i mean it's in the neighborhood of 700 million dollars in scholarship funds that are distributed and florida's public school uh, private school infrastructure particularly catholic school infrastructure Uh, is nothing compared to Chicagoland's. So what it would mean for the Catholic school system, too, but again, big shoulders, Catholic schools, scholarships, where have they been? Working behind the scenes, working behind the scenes, genuflecting before the uh, teachers' union-owned Marxist leadership of the General Assembly, Please, please, please. Uh, Craig Wall has profiled more families publicly than Big Shoulders or Empower, Illinois, as far as I can tell. So, uh, yeah, with great position comes great responsibility. You're the organizations that are writing point. So how do you explain what happened? We did the best we could. Did you? Or did you do the best you could without ruffling any feathers that you think you may need down the road? We have to maintain relationships with uh, street-level hustlers like Chris Welch, grifters, professional grifters, and most of the rest of his caucus. And, you know, uh, we want Don Harmon to still invite us to play golf at Oak Park Country Club. And we, you know, we don't want there to be any uncomfortable moments at the St. Ignatius reunions or fundraisers. So uh, people can criticize me all they want. There were opportunities, and I won't go into the details, but I know because I was part of it. There were opportunities to take a more aggressive posture. There were opportunities to profile families on the airwaves in Chicago. To, te- to have them tell their stories, to put pressure on those teachers union toadies in the General Assembly, because public pressure is what's required. They chose the path of being beaten up in a black in a back alley, begging for their crumbs, just like Republicans normally do. Which is why they're the super minority party. And which is why, in this instance, the tax credit scholarship program is going away. Angelo in Racine, Wisconsin.
9: Hey, how you doing? You know, I, I heard that lady talked about the 11-year-old lost dad and then thus losing uh, financing or college or whatever. You know, was the father, like, putting money away for the kid? Did he have a, a 403B? Uh, what was he doing? Or is she just saying that? because the program's available and they can get on it
0: well i mean uh, you know
9: you got a dad who's working doesn't mean that he's a good dad and i'm not saying that this father that died is was a bad father i'm just saying what's the loss it, was he like really like actively putting money away for this kid and now that's gone
0: yeah he, here's he was, the well he, 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 Andrew, he, who, who cares yeah. who cares
11: well, i do because, because
0: no no i don't and let me tell you let me tell you why i don't and then you can tell me why you do because I don't know the circu- I don't know the circumstances of the father of the family. She said he died, and right. they they didn't you know, they didn't have resources. So he's a 15 year old freshman at Leo, and he uh, comes across very well in that interview. Seems like a sharp young man. But regardless, he's got an opportunity to get a quality education at Leo. That's the point. The point of this is the opportunities that you provide, regardless of circumstances. And if, you know, there's been an absent dad or a family that made a bad decision. Well, well, I don't want that visit upon the kid if we can otherwise avoid it. So that's the point of it. Who cares? I don't well, care what the she, dad did she, or didn't but, do.
12: But she said it. But she well, said I don't Who cares? Who cares? I do.
9: I, I, Why? I just, I just, hear about, it's just like when you hear about somebody being killed in a neighborhood and everybody comes out and says, oh, my God, he was going home to, cookies and read the bible with grandma when he got a
0: shot you know it's no it isn't no it isn't no it isn't what i i mean this is I, honestly uh, what does that have to do with ian the 15 year old freshman at leo do you want him to get the best possible education or not i do i don't care what his dad did or didn't do and i and i have no idea This is about the children. And she obviously had demonstrated the need for the scholarship, regardless of how her family finances got to the place that uh, she qualified for the scholarship, like every other scholarship recipient. Can can we maintain focus on what we're trying to accomplish here? Greg and Schomburg.
10: Hey, Dan and Amy. Before I get to uh, this creative solution, i wanna just share this quick story. Um, About three months ago for my 1972 class in high school, one of our uh, classmates who started with us in freshman and sophomore year had to drop out after sophomore year because of exactly what you're talking about, a problem in their family financial. And thus the class got together with the principal of the school and presented them an honorary diploma. And as we talked this thing through, we thought, Wow, no one knew this was going on in those days. You know, if anybody had known that tuition in those days was pretty cheap. We could have probably put that together. So here's a creative suggestion for this situation. Let's get these kids together and put a web page together and specifically address it to Schakowsky with videos of each of them saying, Thank you, Jan. My my career or my life is in sunset. And and do kind of like the 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 rush limbaugh technique of demonstrating absurd by being absurd and then hopefully what will happen the national media will pick up on it there will be a change of heart within the legislators and everybody will come out with a program and happily ever after but the democrats will look really crazy thanks
0: for the call greg i'd love to do it i mean i propose something not dissimilar to that but the keepers of the list of scholarship recipients don't want to play so you have to have people volunteer, you know, force themselves into the public arena or get connected, you know, like the like the uh, White family got connected to Craig Wall at ABC7 somehow, one-offs, because there's no coordinated effort to do exactly what you said.
2: Well, they did have a, I mean, it was two, but it, was, it seems like eons ago when they St. Sabina had a big rally and they had... People up from Leo High School and other high schools and other kids that benefited from the scholarship program. Yeah, big deal. That was another
0: one off. Dawn in Naperville. Hi,
5: good morning. In 2019, um, the state of Illinois, there was only about 14 percent of African-American students who could read at grade level in eighth grade. So per uh, Jan's comment, the data doesn't match. So the point being is, is what kind of benefit of education are children receiving like this example? It doesn't sound like they're receiving a free and appropriate education, and that's why they're looking for other resources that they don't happen to fit in your box, and that is the problem. And I'm sure that there's a large percentage of the children receiving that benefit who happen to have a disability, a learning disability, maybe like dyslexia that our school system won't even mention. As a matter of fact, we don't even deal with it until uh, somebody goes to a federal penitentiary. So huh. that is the problem, is that somebody like her, and it's it's, 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 it's it's the kids who are also on reduced lunch that get the, the, the last end of the stick. That is the right, problem.
0: which is 85% of the student population in CPS. <laughs>
13: get free lunch right. I mean so it's so just, just it's just it's, 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 it's- criminal care. these
0: are all these 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 I, I get it thanks for the call don these these school systems pay for lunch these school systems are criminal enterprises, and we don't care when we got ninety five hundred out and twenty five thousand twenty five thirty thousand away huh that's all right
1: uh, I don't know I don't know There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We're talking about uh, the K through 12 scholarship program in Illinois that is set to be killed once and for all. And uh, there's a couple more things to say about it. Okay, is it going to be?
2: Is it going to happen this week? Do you think uh, that they'll actually put it to rest?
0: That's, yeah, the, the veto session uh, this week and next, and then that's it. Oh, I'm sorry. Dude. Uh, so uh, Pritzker weighed in on this again. You know, he's been playing Pontius Pilate. He yeah. does the – the General Assembly has to send me something, and I'm – so I'm sort of – Out of um, it. I'm Switzerland on this, which is um, if he wanted it to come to his desk, it would come to his desk, just so we understand that. Okay? Uh, here's what he said,
1: uh, his most current bit of spin. Preserves our – predominant attention and that we need to make sure that we're continuing to fund public education properly. Um, and you know, there are people who want to take our eye off that ball and that's not something that I want to do. Oh,
2: you agitators, you. Um,
0: during the five years of the Task credit scholarship program, K through 12, uh, government school funding has continued to go up at a forty-five degree angle, as it has for the last thirty, okay. and particularly the district that gets you know most of the attention. Uh, again, CPS is at thirty thousand dollars per kid that
2: is so ridiculous. per
0: year, which is more than virtually every suburban school district, where you pay eighty percent of your property taxes for or to ninety percent for K through twelve education, government education.
2: And you should see some of these facilities. Whew.
0: So um, take our eye off that ball. You can't have both. Funny, um, more than two dozen other states have both.
14: Hmm. Uh,
0: Governor Pritzker will happily force you to pay to kill kids in the womb or mutilate them if they get out. But he won't provide incentives to privately fund parental choice for the poor. That's Governor Pritzker in one sentence. And this opportunity to expose this gelatinous ghoul for who he is on behalf of lower income, mostly minority families and their kids. And the school choice movement in Illinois and whatever constitutes a Republican or a conservative in this state doesn't want to take that opportunity doesn't want to be shouting it from the rooftops, doesn't want all hands on deck and all resources available. It is mind-boggling. Here was the response from Patricia White and her son Ian, uh, effectively responding to what you just heard from Pritzker.
11: Well, I personally would say, why wouldn't
12: you just keep it renewed? Like, it's helping so many kids.
11: For families like the Whites, there is a lot at stake.
7: I'm just going to keep doing the best I can to keep him there, even if that means
10: I have to take on an extra job or something like that. But I want to keep him there, and this funding is very important, so we need to keep that funding going. Uh,
0: So um, whose side are you on in that discussion? I mean, that's a rhetorical question. I hope. I hope it's a rhetorical question. I I I just—I just—it is— really sad and frustrating. And then you have to listen to all of the th- nonsense that's talked about over nonsensical, ancillary issues that have very little to do with people's quality of life, very little to do with uh, kids' prospects, for uh, future prospects for success. And you have this moment, and... Most everybody who should be present and accounted for is AWOL. Just a sad, sad commentary on a pathetic, pathetic state. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Some uh, interesting survey results out of New York. Uh, Siena College is the uh, surveyor. This is on uh, the reaction of New York residents to the handling of the migrant situation by Adams, by Hochul, by Biden. And I wonder if it would be interesting to survey Chicago to see if um, the same attrition for the Democrats is occurring. By the way, on the issue matrix in terms of which issues are most important to me and which is sort of a proxy to say which issues inform my vote or most predominantly factor into my vote. Inflation is still number one, understandably. Immigration is now number two. Now, you know, usually it's it's all pocketbook issues, uh, uh, inflation, education, health care, so forth. Immigration number two, and then there's a, a pretty uh, big Divide, pretty big chasm between inflation, immigration, and then the rest of the issues. So it's definitely popping. And you see this in the Siena College results in New York as well. 84% consider the influx of migrants a serious issue. A majority, almost a super majority, 57%, very serious problem. And uh, nearly uh, two thirds of voters. uh Disapprove of the Biden administration's handling of the migrant influx, sixty-four twenty-nine disapprove. Um, also, you're not you're seeing um, uh, uh, poor marks for Adams and Hochul as well. Um, first of all, before we even get to that. Um, the, the whole, you know, benefit cost, 54% of voters in New York said migration has been more of a burden, 32% said it's a benefit. So you get a majority that way, too. Um, That's the, uh, I'd
2: like to know what the benefits are.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the idea we're a nation oh, yeah. of immigrants, people we are coming, good. and it's, uh, yeah, right.
2: And, Look and, at and, me, I did something, children. And there'll, there'll be, be definitely be, people that come to this drive. country
0: that contribute. And, uh, yep, you know, there will be. Uh, of course but this is not the way to do it as we say ad nauseum Um, the uh, um, the other piece of this too interesting just in terms of the political attrition Uh, three years ago Siena poll Biden 61 Trump 29 so going into the uh, 2020 election 61 29 32 point spread right now the spread Statewide, New York, between Trump and Biden, Biden's up nine. I told you last week there was an Emerson poll that had Trump up eight in Pennsylvania. The fact that you've seen a 23-point swing to Trump's benefit in New York State, that tells you a lot of what, about what's going on both with the economy, people's economic security, as well as with this issue specifically, and they sort of all factor in. Um, the uh, pollster saying this. The Siena College pollster, Steve Greenberg. Seldom do we see an issue where at least 79 percent of Democrats, Republicans, independents, men, women, upstaters, downstaters, blacks, whites, Latinos, Catholics, Jews, Protestants all agree that it's a serious problem. And you don't call something that is a windfall a serious problem. You call that a happy occurrence. So when they say serious problem, they're not saying we're. Excited about what has what is transpiring, and as I mentioned, Adams and Hochul are both upside down on this as well. It'd be interesting to see where BLM, Brandon, and Jelly Belly are on this too, wouldn't it? Yeah, lot of uh, pushback. Um, now, does that necessarily mean New York's in play in twenty twenty four? No, it doesn't. Oh, okay. Could things change? Yes, but um, but if you don't expect that this administration at the federal level will change its policy with respect to border security. And there's no reason to anticipate that. And if you don't expect that uh, Hochul or Adams are going to move to sort of send a public signal that we're not on board with this by uh, rescinding sanctuary city state designation, by being more aggressive in their posture towards the Biden administration publicly, which there's no reason to believe that'll happen, then this is going to continue at least through 2024, depending on what happens in November of 2024, wouldn't you think?
2: Do you think Illinois would ever flip?
0: Um, no. Yeah. I mean, ever, I mean, ever after, is a long time. But I right. mean, do I see – do Do you see the pressure on BLM Brandon or Jelly Belly to reverse course? I don't see it. I mean, the community meetings in Brighton Park and Galewood notwithstanding – South Shore, Hyde Park. I mean, the you know, the, those are blips. Do you see the organized, sustained opposition coming from within their ranks? Not to mention, where is anything resembling an opposition party? A wall, as per usual. So, do you see what what is the organized, sustained opposition that is on the horizon in Illinois or Chicago? I don't see it. So, no, I don't think policies are going to change and the only opportunity to affect that change will be to elect different policymakers in '24. That's where we're at, so buckle up for the next year.
1: There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So animatronic Anthony Blinken, our Secretary of State, uh, addressed the UN Security Council yesterday, uh, saying this the most relevant portion of his 14 minute blathering was about the U.S. posture towards Iran and what he's calling, futilely to be sure, on the UN Security Council and other member nations of the UN to do vis a vis Iran. Take a listen.
15: It is no secret to anyone in this room or on this council that for years Iran has supported Hamas. Hezbollah, the Houthis, and other groups that continue to carry out attacks on Israel. Iranian leaders have routinely threatened to wipe Israel off the map. In recent weeks, Iran's proxies have repeatedly attacked U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria, whose mission is to prevent ISIS from renewing its rampage. So, let me say this before this Council, and let me say what we've consistently said to Iranian officials through other channels. The United States does not seek conflict with Iran. We do not want this war to widen. But if Iran or its proxies attack U.S. personnel anywhere, make no mistake, we will defend our people, we will defend our security swiftly and decisively. To all the members of this Council, if you, like the United States, want to prevent this conflict from spreading, tell Iran, tell its proxies, in public, in private, through every means, do not open another front against Israel in this conflict, do not attack Israel's partners.
0: You know, that's all well and good, except uh, America could take uh, Tony Blinken's own advice, this regime could take his advice. On October 18th, transition day how much uh, publication of that did you see in the dc press corps transition day under the iran nuclear deal with it past the u.n missile and drone sanctions iran's terrorist proxies and foreign clients such as vladimir putin send their regards is what the wall street journal opined uh going on uh, continuing on just a bit a core problem with the 2015 nuclear talks was the key restrictions were allowed to sunset at which point Iranian activities would be stamped legal. The arms embargo was allowed to expire in October 2020. Missile and drone limits followed last week. The idea at the time was that the nuclear deal would cause Iran to moderate its malign behavior to fit the Western timetable. How's that going?
2: That expired at midnight our time, and nobody talked about it. Nobody, just a few. We briefly mentioned it here, but besides that, maybe Fox News.
0: And so... uh... The focus on Iran didn't last very long because, of course, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres uh, offered the typical uh, false equivalences that you would get from an Ivy League professor in his remarks about the Hamas terrorist attack. He condemned the attack in one breath, and then what did he say in the next?
8: It is important to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. They have seen their land steadily devoured by settlements and plagued by violence. Their economy stifled, their people displaced, and their homes demolished. Their hopes for a political solution to their plight have been vanishing. The relentless bombardment of Gaza by Israeli forces, the level of civilian casualties, and the wholesale destruction of neighborhoods continue to mount and are deeply alarming. Protection civilians, protecting civilians does not mean ordering more than one million people to evacuate to the South, where there is no shelter, no food, no water, no medicine, and no fuel, and then continuing to bomb the South itself. I'm deeply concerned about the clear violations of international humanitarian law that we are witnessing in Gaza.
0: Uh-huh. And uh, that prompted this response from Israeli ambassador to the U.N., Jalad Erdan, who called for Boris Badenov's resignation there.
6: The U.N. is failing. And you, Mr. Secretary General, have lost all morality and impartiality. Because when you say those terrible words that these heinous attacks did not happen in a vacuum, you are tolerating terrorism. And by tolerating terrorism, you are justifying terrorism. And the SG is blaming the victim? You are blaming Israel? This is a pure blood libel. This is a pure blood libel. And I think that the Secretary General must resign. Because from now on, every day that he is here in this building, unless he apologizes... Immediately, today, we called him to apologize. There is no justification to the existence of this building.
0: Yeah, well, was there before that? Um, Yeah, you know, Gutierrez can go away and maybe they can appoint Liv Tyler or Angelina Jolie to be U.N. Secretary General. I mean, it's about that important, frankly. For uh, more on all this, Dr. Judy Jasser, president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, co-founder of the Muslim Reform Movement. He's also a former Navy Lieutenant Commander, author of "A Battle for the Soul of Islam," and And, oh, oh, by the way,
2: this just in—he's
0: a uh, candidate for Congress in Arizona Four. Is that your mom's district?
2: No, it is not. Not Because I was going to say he'll for sure have a vote, but sorry.
0: Well, it's Arizona. She can probably vote. It's Mesa,
2: Gilbert, Chandler. You know,
0: she can probably vote wherever she wants. Exactly. From what we've seen, Tucson,
2: Uh, Phoenix, same thing. (laughs)
14: Doctor
0: Jasser, thanks so much for joining us again. Appreciate it.
14: Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me back.
2: Um,
0: So uh, whatever sort of Pollyannish prospects uh, Tony Blinken thought he had to bring the U.N. Security Council and the larger member nations to uh, consensus on this, to speak with one voice and uh, condemn Iran and act in furtherance of that condemnation, that seemed to go by the
14: boards pretty quickly. Oh, it did. He's like the uh, dysfunctional weatherman who uh, has a hurricane that came and says that somehow he was surprised by it and just starts describing the hurricane that he laid out over the past uh, uh, multiple years of actually saying the opposite to the UN. When Iran declared its intention, when Iran has long called for the death and destruction of Israel and the West, uh, they said, oh, that's just words. It doesn't mean anything. And now that it does mean anything, he's saying that uh, uh, the UN needs to respond to it. It's... It's absurd, it's offensive, and uh, you listen to uh, their expectation uh, in the U.N. of no response. One thing I'd remind them is they called for a day of jihad. These Islamists want to light up the Middle East. They want to create death and destruction. That's the way Hamas, ISIS, Al-Qaeda work, because it rebrands them. It it, it gives uh, the... uh, population there that has no the ones that don't have any moral agency that have lost their moorings and lost their humanity a chance to say they're the ones that will represent the the will of the palestinians when in fact the palestinians and the arabs and those that do have morality like the iran women's movement uh, those that were pushing back against their dictatorships they didn't participate in this day of jihad Uh, the women's movement actually was rejecting the theocrats of iran and in the past few weeks has been saying they stand with Israel, they stand against terrorism. So, you know, I think uh, it's long overdue for the Palestinians to have an Arab awakening against their own tyrants, which are Hamas, and, uh, you know, the Israelis were releasing uh, leaflets the past few days and dropping them and saying, you know, if any of you know where these hostages are, let us know. We want to minimize civilian loss, and, you know, that's the story you're not hearing from the— propagandist arms of the BBC and other media that seem to have a one side in which they... And actually, I have to tell you, as a Muslim, as as the son of immigrants, Mm -hmm. you know, that it is bigotry to me to say that somehow we don't have any moral agency, that somehow there's a justification for... uh, If you look at the manual that Hamas had that was revealed by NBC, no right-wing media, this is a left-wing media... That, that released a manual that said eight points, point one and two of the hostage-taking was to go in and slaughter women and children at the festivals, at the schools, and elsewhere. Nowhere do you see that the taking of the hostages is being condemned roundly. They just sort of say it as a footnote, and then they go on to say, well, they've been, they've been oppressed, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, enough is enough. We need to decimate Hamas's leadership and then after that, talk about what is the path forward for Palestinians that are that are part of humanity, part of civilization, and not part of evil.
2: But what should the path forward be?
14: The path forward has to first be to release these hostages uh, safely to their families. The path forward first has to be to completely uh, end the military arm and also political arm of Hamas need to be defeated, no different than uh, Germany was defeated in World War II, you no know, different than any of the enemies of humanity have been defeated. And, you know, I have to tell you, the Syrians, uh, for example, should not have a long memory to know that Hamas uh, did not support the revolution in Syria. Hamas supported Assad, supported Iran uh, in their uh, regional aspirations. So. The path forward needs to be to end those who are the enemies of humanity first in the next few weeks in this war and hopefully minimize the the loss of civilian life uh, as is always horrific in war. Uh, but uh, it's one thing to uh, end but who started this war and then after that start to create uh, corridors of humanity to, to bring Um, suspense to those who are suffering and and begin to create a new leadership in the Palestinian territories.
0: With respect to Iran, what's their end game here? You know, Blinken, we don't want conflict with Iran. It doesn't seem like Iran really wants to uh, formally put its fingerprints on this to engage more than they uh, have in terms of providing weapons and whatever other logistical support they provide to terrorist organizations like Hamas and Hezbollah. It seems like maybe they're just you trying to use this as a time when they can advance their weapons program that uh, Obama started uh, helping them to advance uh, several years back. Is that is that what they're really uh, aiming to do at this point?
14: It's a couple things, uh, three things I would say is involved here. Number one is uh, to distract from their internal. Weakness in the revolution, you know, all of a sudden the the topic has changed across the Middle East. No one's paying attention to the women's movement anymore. Number two is to uh, begin to inflame a lot of their proxies. The Houthis should be declared a terrorist organization. I'll remind you that the Biden administration a a year ago removed the uh, designation of the Houthis as a foreign terrorist organization, and now they're launching missiles again and uh... so uh... that needs to happen number three is to uh... solidify the uh... abraham accords uh... they wanted to uh... they saw saudi arabia a lot of the arab gulf countries uh... beginning to normalize economic relations with israel which would be a disaster for iran and also by the way the new axis of evil iran china and russia uh... are uh... uh, creating a, a strengthening of their triangular uh... power if you will and that also uh... has been rekindled and uh, we need to also, uh, you know, push back against. So those three areas are the reasoning behind it. They met, you know, with the head of Hamas leadership in Tehran just weeks before this happened and, and uh, began to uh, increase sort of the verbal attacks against Israel in the West. And lo and behold, the war started a few weeks later. So this should not have been a surprise. There's a lot of secondary gains that they have from it and always as they do in proxy wars. And uh, we need to have them pay a price, uh, not only in the loss of their weaponry, but also intelligence. Um,
0: Maybe, maybe for example, uh, reinstituting the arms embargoes?
14: Yeah, exactly. The maximum pressure... It needs to come back. I don't understand why Blinken and company don't say that uh, the Pompeo maximum pressure campaign worked. This would not have happened under uh, that campaign. They removed it, and, and here we are now. The Middle East is on fire, on fire.
0: Well, so so NSC spokesman John Kirby, who has become almost as risable a figure as Karim Jean-Pierre with the statements he makes, like giving Biden an A-plus on the management of uh, this crisis in the Middle East as well as the crisis in uh, – in Eastern Europe. Uh, John Kirby said this about Iran sponsored attacks because of course, uh, Iran is sponsoring attacks on US troops in other theaters uh, outside of Gaza. Take a listen.
12: Now we know these groups are supported by the IRGC and the regime. We know Iran continues to support Hamas and Hezbollah. And we know that Iran is closely monitoring these events and in some cases actively facilitating these attacks and spurring on others Who may want to exploit the conflict for their own good or for that of iran we know iran's goal is to maintain some level of deniability here but we're not going to allow them to do that we also are not going to allow any threat to our interest in the region to go unchallenged
10: we demonstrated last
0: yeah that's all uh those pieties are all well and good but um so are we have u.s soldiers being attacked by iran using weapons we've allowed them to obtain
14: yeah the you know now they're going to not allow it when they've actually uh, uh, planted this in which Iran felt they could do anything they wanted to in which uh, they uh, uh, facilitated Assad's uh, continued ascension uh, in 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 his country and the crimes against humanity that he did and the troops that they sent into Syria to decimate that population and then Lebanon now is completely a, a third-world country, a country that's been destroyed as a result of Iran's uh, fueling of Hezbollah. Now they're they're saying they're not going to do that. I mean, that's offensive, and the appeasement policy that they've had has basically been a green light to the ascendancy of that Shia crescent from Iran through Iraq. I mean, uh, when when is the establishment in Washington going to realize that the reason we lost Iraq uh, was not— necessarily that it was a fool's plan, but the bottom line was that uh, we, hand, Obama administration handed it over to Iran, and uh, that type of division in the Middle East between Iran and the Arab countries, that crescent, uh, is going to actually create a conflict in which if Iran gets nuclear weapons, then we're going to talk about Saudi Arabia getting nuclear weapons. And and this the, the concern now of this conflict broadening beyond Israel and Hamas is very significant because, remember, at the end of the day, Iran's suicidal Hezbollah and and terrorist organizations goes beyond simply um, non-state actors. The IRGC was declared a terror organization because they have state-wished suicidality. As they declare every time they open the UN and they call for the coming of the 12th imam, the 12th imam will come at the end of times when the Middle East is ablaze and afire. And uh, um Jerusalem's on fire. So that's the way they see it. And that's why they should have had deterrence back during the Obama administration and not just talking about it now when our ally Israel is uh, uh, having to defend itself after an attack.
2: Kind of a pedestrian question, but why are you running for the House of Representatives for Arizona's fighting fourth?
14: Well, I'm running because my parents came to this country to um uh, participate in the religious freedom of Americanism, of an idea that was not only a city on a hill, but a promise of freedom, of free speech, that diversity was not just about identity politics, but it was about diversity of ideas. And we're losing that. We're seeing the wokest work with the Islamists and the spread of anti-Semitism on campuses. I saw through COVID primary care and medicine uh, uh, destroyed by government intervention and small businesses destroyed and uh, I've seen the weaponization of government against uh, the American people and seeing things that I thought only happened in the Middle East beginning to happen here. And, you know, now with this war, I'm reminded more than ever, and as my family told me, they wanted me to run because of these these issues. So I'd like to renew America's promise, uh, flip the district that we're in. It's currently a Democrat district with Stanton, and it was actually, it can be flipped. It was split uh, 49-49 in the presidential part of the ballot last time. And uh, it can be won with a strong candidate, and uh, uh, i 'd like to give the antidote to the Ilhan Omars of Congress, who really are anti American and seem to be filling an american congressional seat and i 'd like to do the opposite
0: no, that would be fun to, to watch you go toe to toe with Omar and Talib and the others that would be That'd be, that'd be worth uh, sitting down with a uh... Tub of popcorn and watching. Uh, Z for A Z. Z is in Zudi for A Z. Z for A Z dot is his campaign website. Doctor Zudi Jasser, president of American Islamic Forum for Democracy, co-founder of the Muslim Reform Movement, former Navy Lieutenant Commander, author of A Battle for the Soul of Islam, and Republican candidate for Congress in Arizona. Arizona 4 Dr. Z for A Z Doctor Z Zootie Jasser, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it.
14: Thank you. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.
1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody
11: I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9
1: in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM 560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, uh, Dan and Amy. Have you heard about uh, young Greta Thunberg's new book?
2: Oh, yeah, something about vegans and batteries on jet planes, some imaginary world she lives with, with rainbows and unicorns.
0: Here's Greta, promoting her book.
4: War is always bad, specifically for the planet. If we want to continue uh, fighting battles, like environmentally conscious humans, We must make the change to sustainable tanks and weaponry. There are so many new concepts for our battery-powered fighter jets that can carry many more um, missiles, biodegradable missiles, of course. Mm. Something literally everybody can do to stop this nonsense is, for example... Block the roads to gardens and farms so the plants don't get overrun by these heavy, heavy tanks. (laughs) Hand grenades, very important. If you use hand grenades, please use vegan grenades. (laughs) No animal should have to give their life for all this mayhem and chaos. They have a special sticker on them. You really can't Mm -hmm. miss them in the uh, grenade market or wherever you buy them. Yeah, I cover all of this and more in my newest book, Vegan Wars.
2: Vegan grenades? I didn't know that was a thing.
0: So this is great. Uh. This is uh, Sasha Baron Cohen quality. Uh. Uh, that's not actually what Greta said in this interview that she did. Somebody dubbed that in oh, okay. over what she said. Thank She's got you. a new book out called the Climate Book. So that was somebody spoofing her and spoofing her new book. But it's the the point is that a lot of people were fooled by it because that's how ridiculous she is, and that's how ridiculous this eco supremacist movement is. Um, and also, had ex- me. <laughs> yeah, it's a total spoof. Okay. Um, but they had a lot of people. Right. And that tells you something about how serious Greta Thunberg yeah. and people like her should be taken. Um, it's also ex- an expensive movement. A good piece over at uh, Zero Hedge on the actual cost of electric batteries. Mm-hmm. Since, you know, we got that uh, ChiCom plant coming to Mantino, I thought you might want to know, not to mention if you're ever in the market for a new car. I mean, it's really something. Now, keep in mind that the. Uh, Average price to replace a battery in a gasoline fuel car is like $100 to $200. The average price for an EV is 10000 But listen to the cost of these cars. 2025 uh, Cadillac Escalade, uh, no nickel cobalt magne- uh, manganese aluminum battery. Uh, the battery cost is $22,500. The total cost is 130 grand. Tesla Model S nickel cobalt aluminum battery. That's twelve thousand dollars on a car that costs eighty eight. The RAM fifteen hundred REV, nickel cobalt manganese battery. Uh, the battery costs almost twenty six thousand dollars on an eighty one thousand dollar car. Ooh. Rivian delivery van. Uh battery costs thirteen thousand a little over thirteen thousand on a car that's a little over or a van that's over a little over fifty two. Ford Mustang yeah. Lithium ion phosphate battery. How
10: much?
0: Uh, about seven grand for the battery on a $43,000 car. I mean, just to give you an example. That's
2: real big money.
0: <laughs> the uh, li- uh, lithium nickel cobalt aluminum batteries have an average price of about $120 per kilowatt hour, while the lithium nickel cobalt manganese batteries, slightly lower price point at about 112 both contain significant nickel proportions increasing the battery's energy density to allow for longer range. Um, and so, you know, this is, this is the brave new world, and this is the, obviously the, the need for state and federal subsidies to make this, uh, I mean, even remotely affordable for most people as these mandates are imposed. But I mean, just to give you sort of, again, the real-world implications, like we're talking about the real-world implications of open borders and sanctuary states... Those price points, how do those grab you? For more on this, we're pleased to be joined, as always, by Steve Moore, who is an economist and the author of GovZilla. Steve, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it.
9: Uh, Good morning, guys. And I want to just be on record that I am in favor of biodegradable missiles.
2: (laughs) What about vegan grenades, Stephen Moore? How do you feel about those? There's a sticker on them.
9: I mean, I have to say that I didn't know it was a, a parody until the very end.
0: No, they did a great job. I didn't either. Yeah, <laughs> great job. Um,
9: yeah, well, you I know, say that, uh, by the way, some of this stuff you know, it is so out there. But I, I wrote a report in our hotline the other day. The United Nations, you know, they're a important organization, right? Um, has basically issued a report saying it's time to stop using concrete and steel for buildings. And instead, and, and this is not a parody, <laughs> I mean, This is not a parody. Instead of using concrete and steel, we should use bamboo shoots and uh, wood and um, uh, biomass. I don't even know what biomass is by the way to build buildings. We're going to build the. Uh, they don't even call it the Sears Tower anymore, right? But you know that we're going to build the John Hancock Building with with wood and bamboo shoots.
0: Yeah, we're going to go with, like, well, we, it's more we're going to do adobes, uh, clay, and, yeah, it, it, that's, we're going to go back and go back to our origins as a country, you know, on the plains. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, though, you know. Well, the, it's,
9: wait a minute. It's, it goes back further than that. They want to take us back to the Stone Age, you know. Well, Some of these people want to get rid of the wheel. The wheel, you know, that well, was a bad invention. That started to destroy the planet.
0: There's no question. Um, it, it led to, you know, right, ease of transportation and things like that, which are bad news. Um, but the good news is uh, coming from our friends, the Swiss, that 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 it seems at least some people are, you know, rejecting the silliness of this eco supremacist movement.
9: Yeah, that's right. And so you have some countries. In fact, Europe is really moved pretty aggressively against. Green energy. This is a story that nobody reports. That you know, the New York Times doesn't report this. The Chicago Tribune, the you know, L.A. Times, none of the Washington Post. They don't report that the European countries ten to fifteen years ago tried the whole green energy. They were all in on green energy. We're going to build windmills and solar panels, and it was a complete failure, especially in Germany. Germany crippled its economy, and so now they're moving back to natural gas and nuclear power and other forms of energy. While we continue to shut down our coal plants, shut down our natural gas plants, and play right into the hands of our enemies. I mean, green energy is, uh, for the most part, it's a niche form of energy. We could maybe get maybe 10 or 15 percent of our energy from wind and solar power, you know, with a big push. But there is a movement out there that is incredibly devious and sinister that even many American Fortune 100 companies signed on to called net zero. And net zero is this lunatic idea that we're going to go from using – getting 70 percent of our energy, which is what we do today. Seventy percent of our energy comes from uh, oil, gas, and coal. And we're going to go from 70 percent to zero in the next 25 years. That will absolutely annihilate the U.S. economy. And we will go back to being one of the – we'll be one of the poorest countries on the planet, but we'll save the planet.
0: I uh, wanted to, uh, bef- well, before we get to your, your take on um, uh, the uh, speakership <sighs> that's uh, in flux here, there's uh, some more good news. Let's try to accentuate the positive before we get to uh, things that are a little bit more chaotic and uneven. Um, uh, in your uh, newsletter, Unleash Prosperity, uh, we see a, a couple of good things happen uh, happening. Uh, one of them is the ESG investing, speaking of another yeah, silly move, Way down. That's way down. Speak to that.
9: Yeah, well, it it doesn't. It's it's a bad deal for investors, and and so ESG gets lower returns. And by the way, for people don't know what the ESG term means, it means you know, uh, investing in climate change and social justice and racial preferences and things like that. Uh, Now, you may be for or against those things, but I always thought you know I'm old fashioned, Dan. I always thought the purpose of a company was to make money for the shareholders of the company. I know that's a very old fashioned idea, but they're sacrificing returns, you know, for these crazy left wing ideas. Well, that was all the fad three or four or five years ago. There's a total rebellion now against that. And I think one of the things and I'd I'd like your guys reaction is I think the um, corporate America was completely spooked by what happened with Bud Light. I mean, that was a huge, huge uh, thing. And no you know, these idiots in uh on Madison Avenue, they are so out of touch with real America. Like, what the hell just went on? All we did was put, you know, some crazy transvestite on the can of a, of a, a beer can and all of a sudden, you know, our profits disappear by thirty billion dollars. So they're not attuned with the fact that you have you know, half of the voters in this country are conservatives.
0: Uh, yeah, well, that's right. And, um, uh, there, there was, I think there was a ripple effect to that. No question. Of course it still is happening to Bud Light too, in terms of their sales being down. And
9: Oh, by uh, the way, I think that brand, I think that brand is done. I think they have completely destroyed that brand. And the thing about that story is they brought in this woman to run that campaign who was like the top of her class. I think at Harvard business school, she was, you know, Mm -hmm. she was like the wonder kind that, you know, she was going to be the, the the one who took you know anheuser Busch to the moon and it crashed and uh she was a perfect example of some kind of high pollutant you know uh university student who know nothing about america she wanted
2: to expand the sales and the reason behind that she's like you know we want more than just frat guys drinking our beer Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. well, she I didn't, didn't since do
0: her market study. She did do a good job. No more frat guys drinking yeah, that no, beer. That's no, a good. There, there you go. That. I mean, yeah. If
9: you want to expand your sales, what the first thing you do is you insult half of your customers. That's yeah. a really good idea.
0: Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, on the speakership is uh, Mike yeah. Johnson. Is he enough of a consensus candidate to finally get someone across the finish line?
9: I mean, my God, he's the he's the flavor of the day. You know, yeah. but, I, you know, who knows? I mean, this has become such a three-ring circus. It's such a black eye for Republicans. I'm, I'm embarrassed to call myself a Republican. Uh, Steve Scalise would have been a great speaker. Jim Jordan would have been a great speaker. Byron, Byron Donalds would have been a great speaker. I think Kevin McCarthy was a good speaker. And what the hell is going on with these idiots? I mean, they they are looking like a bunch of clowns. We had a, a cartoon in our hotline the other day uh, of, of, you know, a, a a picture of the house floor and it was all filled with, you know, cl- clowns. And uh, one of our readers uh, wrote in and said, this is a total insult to clowns.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, right. uh,
9: you know, it's, they, look, they look completely incompetent and we've got to get a speaker. And I, what worries me, like Mike Johnson seems fine to me. I, I don't really know him very well. I know some of those others a lot better. But I'm worried that they're, they're, what we're getting is like least common denominator speaker, someone who can uh, you know, I mean, so you need somebody strong. You need firm. We need a general
10: out
9: of the uh, House Republican Caucus, not a Beetle Bailey.
2: I think we need Kevin McCarthy back. I mean, he's been such I a leader, do. a great leader, do and do. he's do. been on all the cable stations, and he's doing a great job. I now, do you think Matt Gates has egg in yeah, his you face you after and I all this? Totally agree. Yep. What about Matt Gates? Do you, you think he's, does he have egg in his face after all of this?
9: Uh, I would say so. Yeah, I would say definitely. And, you know, this is what happens when you <laughs> open a Pandora's box that you don't know what's going to come out. Uh, but I'm totally with you. i mean, bring back Kevin McCarthy. What people don't understand, and I know a lot of your listeners probably don't like Kevin McCarthy, and I've had run-ins with Kevin McCarthy over the years, uh, uh, for sure. But you know what he does better than anybody else? One of the most important roles of the Speaker of the House. You know what that is, Dan? Tell me raising money yeah well that's true <laughs> you can't have a house majority if you don't have somebody raising 100 to 200 million dollars and kevin mccarthy does that and you know uh, if you don't have somebody doing that you're going to lose the house of representatives and you're going to have a speaker was it Jeffries? is that the, the yeah the Democrat yeah. running the house team Jeffries, so, yeah Hakeem Jester, is that what we want
0: that's a good question i guess we're going to find out the answer as this uh Uh, plays itself out. Stephen Moore, economist and GovZilla author. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it.
9: Okay, guys. Have a great week. Take care.
2: Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.
1: Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, yesterday, yet another Trump lawyer pled out in the Fulton County Atlanta case, Jenna Ellis. Yeah. She was uh, one of the more public-facing members of the Trump legal defense team you so often saw her at pressers with Sidney powell and rudy giuliani
2: and she even spoke at our freedom summit last year remember the morning speaker
0: yeah uh well here was her elocution in court yesterday
13: thank you your honor for the opportunity to address the court as an attorney who is also a christian i take my responsibilities as a lawyer very seriously And I endeavored to be a person of sound, moral and ethical character in all of my dealings. In the wake of the 2020 presidential election, I believed that challenging the results on behalf of President Trump should be pursued in a just and legal way. I endeavored to represent my client to the best of my ability. I relied on others, including lawyers with many more years of experience than I, to provide me with true and reliable information especially since my role involved speaking to the media and to legislators in various states. What I did not do, but should have done, Your Honor, was to make sure that the facts the other lawyers alleged to be true were, in fact, true. In the frenetic pace of attempting to raise challenges to the election in several states, including Georgia, I failed to do my due diligence. I believe in and I value election integrity. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. I look back on this whole experience with deep remorse. For those failures of mine, Your Honor, I have taken responsibility already before the Colorado Bar who censured me, and I now take responsibility before this court and apologize to the people of Georgia. Thank you.
0: Uh, in related uh, stories with respect to the Trump trials, you have Mark Meadows getting an immunity deal in the Jan 6 case being prosecuted by Jack Smith, so ostensibly he plans to testify against Trump, or certainly Jack Smith thinks he has valuable information that uh, the jury should hear in that case that would implicate Trump, one would suspect. Um, But what are the political implications of elocutions and plea deals from Powell and Cheeseborough and Ellis and Uh, And uh, Meadows, for example, for more on this and other political matters, domestic and international, we're pleased to be joined again by Sean Spicer. Of course, he's a former White House spokesman and he's the host of the Sean Spicer show on Apple Podcasts. Sean, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it.
12: Always good to be with you, Dan. Amy, good to be with you both.
0: Great to have you back. Um, What's your handle on where things stand with the Trump trials and these uh, these plea deals?
12: So it's an interesting question, and I I wish I, I I'm sort of torn on several levels. One on the personal level, uh, I've I've been through a bunch of these court cases since Trump was in office, and I understand that some of these people have to do what they do because they get jammed by the Department of Justice or uh, or or a local DA, and that the, the legal fees et cetera can mount. And yeah. and you know, in Jenna's case, in Sidney Powell's case, they say, hey, you're facing you know seven eight ten whatever felonies but if you plead to this one misdemeanor you know it's a fine and you get off so i get why they do the things they do i but i think what this really comes down to and to the point of your question what what does it matter i i don't know and i think we'll have to see in other words are they using jenna ellis to get to rudy then rudy to get to trump uh, or something like that because I don't know. In the case of like Sydney, she was representing the president as his lawyer. There still is a, a maintenance of attorney-client privilege. So what what does what do they get from her? I don't know. But at the end of the day, even Meadows—I mean Meadows—who who apparently is testifying now—wrote in his own book that Trump never believed that the election was was fair. He believed it was rigged. He wrote this in his book. So I have a hard time believing that you can turn around and say, "Okay, well, now that we pressed you with a bunch of fines and charges, what do you say now? And he says, oh, I say different. Well, you know, hey, if you're the Trump team, you go, well, this is what he wrote in his book. This is what he said. And he can never. And even according to the reports this morning from his own attorney, there's no specific instance in which he ever says, yeah, Trump said the following. This is all his speculation. I believe he knew. I believe well. That's not how we convict people in America. You don't get to say, I think that you're guilty. So, look, I, I I, don't know how this ends, but I'll tell you, I think no matter if you're the biggest Trump hater in the world, if you look at what they're really going after him on in a lot of these cases, you can say he's a bad person. You can say he's unethical, but but he hasn't broken a law, as far as I can tell. And that's the line that we have to be concerned with as Americans, is There are people that you may not like. There are people that you may despise or that you may think otherwise. And in some cases, they may do nefarious things. But there's a line between that and actually breaking a law.
2: Do you think Meadows is going to plead out, too?
12: Well, they gave him immunity. So Mm -hmm. I assume that he's got a deal. I mean, I would assume you don't take an immunity deal unless you have a deal. Uh, But again... I don't have all the particulars in that, so I don't know what they had on them, But I would assume that you wouldn't go that far right. unless you're getting some something in exchange.
0: Well, and this too, I mean, you know, we don't exactly know uh, whose legal fees are being paid by Trump and whose aren't. But Jack Smith is yep. pressing to call it obstruction—the uh, paying of some people's legal fees—and um, of course, those, uh, nobody has to disclose that. Um, so some may be, and and they may be pleading out, even if Trump has been picking up their legal fees because he spent something right. like forty million dollars since January of twenty twenty two on sixty different law firms. So a lot of people are being represented, and their legal fees are being taken care of, at least so far. But but here is the other thing too. To your point, um, you know Jenna and Sydney and 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 she's they're still what it, what it, they're pleading out as you say, path of least resistance, because even if even if trump believed that the arguments that were advanced in uh court filings to seeking a recount of this batch of votes or in this particular uh, uh district even if he believed that they were um long shots or maybe the uh, there wasn't um a preponderance of the evidence to support their claim well, uh, and he said oh, well let's take a flyer let's see if we can let's see if we can get it anyway the, filing frivolous uh, complaints in courts of law is not criminal. In point of fact, what usually happens if it is so beyond the pale in terms of the frivolity of a particular complaint, the attorney faces sanctions, but uh, never the client. And so they have to concoct this uh, ridiculous racketeering uh, scheme that was, I guess, memorialized by a, a you know a conversation that you have to, uh, you know, interpret in the light least favorable to Trump. And even in that light, there's still nothing illegal about petitioning a secretary of state. We think this and you think that and we want you to do this. Uh, It wasn't we want you to do this or I'm going to commit a violent act against you. It was we want you to do this because we think it's right. Even if you didn't think it's right, that's not
12: illegal. Well, I mean, and that's the point I'm making, Dan, right, is that if you think about it, I've been involved in two close elections in my career, one in 1994 and and one in 2000. And every case you petition the government. I mean, look at what they're they're charting. They're saying that he – yes, you're right. He called the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and said, I need to find this many votes because I think that there's this many that have been right. fraudulently cast. He didn't say go out and manufacture the vote. He didn't say go out and change the vote. He said, I believe that there are people that voted illegally, that this process wasn't followed, and therefore – all I need to find are this money. You don't need. I mean that. You know. Again, this isn't about whether you like Trump or not. Look at what he said in context, and then go back and put put a blinder on that and say, what did Al Gore say after 2000? What did uh, you know? There's a. I'm trying to think. There's a race in South Dakota before John uh, when John Thune ran against Tom Daschle. There was all of these races. There was one in Colorado where uh, you know, like I said, I've been involved in two at the congressional at the House side. It's – you go out, you have teams that go out and and say, okay, well, we've got evidence that, um, you know, there are five people that shouldn't have voted that voted. We've got – you know, we believe this clerk kept the voting machines open two hours longer than they were legally allowed to be, whatever – you're, that's why, I mean, nothing that Trump did was outside the system. They keep saying he was going to do this and he might have done that. Well, okay, that's, that's great. That's all hypothetical. But at the end of the day, what did he do? He followed the, the system. He filed motions. He petitioned his government. He asked for redress. All of that is expressly allowed in our constitution and under our system of government. So you may not like it. Uh, not you, obviously, yeah, but I'm right.
0: saying that yeah, one, right. one
12: may not like it, but what is the, what did he do? Because your point is exactly right. It wasn't like he said, okay, I'm not going to allow the transfer of power. I am going to change the vote. Yes, under the Constitution, I mean, look at what – there was a story yesterday that said that no labels – or at least this was – I'm sorry, it wasn't that they said it. It was an accusation of a group called Third Way, a left-leaning group that said that the the group no labels that is supposedly putting up a potential unity ticket, that they want to spoil the election and throw it to the House of Representatives, right? And where they could then play a role. Well, wait a second. Isn't that election interference? Isn't that whatever? No, that's actually how the Constitution spells out how you would control a contested election. Would that be chaotic? Absolutely. But the point is, is that what they're saying is we don't like it when we claim that we win, that you petition us that you seek redress. I'm sorry. They've done it. They actually went to the floor in almost every year, a Republican won. I can't actually think if it if they haven't done it ever, but in 2000 and 2004, Democrats went to the floor of the house of Representatives, and they, they, uh, they, um, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm Well, they,
0: they, they, claim, yeah, they claim the, the elections were And
12: They tried to block the electors. So they've done all these tactics. They just don't like that Trump did it. And that's the reality. And so I just I think that like will protest too much. And at the end of the day, if you go through every one of these cases, they've jumped the shark. They've sort of been like, we're just going to play on the fact. I, I As a non-lawyer, I've, I have a bunch of lawyers on my show all the time. And I'll say to them, okay, I don't understand how, like in the case of Albert Bragg, if the statute of limitations has expired, how do you charge them? And they'll look at me and say, I don't know, because that's the law. And and so I think that what you've seen is people like Letitia James, and Fannie Willis in, in Georgia, uh, Letitia obviously in New York, but basically say, you know what, let's take a gamble. Enough judges and enough people hate Trump so much. Let's just see what we can do.
0: Well, it's funny, too, because uh, that's exactly what uh – they're accusing Trump of doing, right? I mean, yes. that's the that's a great irony of it. He took a flyer uh, by using by accessing the courts of law. Uh, his arguments were rejected, and that's that. Um, but they're in the position of being a prosecutor, uh, and uh, so they're get you know, in, a, in a, particularly in the jurisdictions we're talking about, they're given uh, wide deference from judges, and then they start to get plea agreements that 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 to you know the untrained eye well there's got to be a there there because why would these people plead out and there's all kinds of reasons as we've discussed why they would and but i mean so so yeah as per usual there uh it is uh uh righteous when they do it and it is criminal when somebody else does it
12: well and, and you know you know dan the thing is is that it's, it's beyond this you think about when BLM protested, it was mostly peaceful and it was allowed, and you didn't have to have a mask and you didn't have to because it was their side. Every time there's an instance of outrage, a political discourse going. When Chuck Schumer said that we should surround the judges, I'm coming for you, Gorsuch, I'm coming for you. When when Sheila Jackson Lee said that we should surround, or who, Which one of the Maxine Waters said that we should surround Trump appointees and make them feel the pain for being? But that's okay. Right. So that's the thing is that these guys, when they cross the line, when they go over the top, when they call for violence, well, it's different. And that's the thing that I, it just, it it consistently amazes me how the Democrats and the left have no problem with the hypocrisy that they preach.
0: Uh, I wanted to get your, um, your take because you wrote a piece about it, uh, in the Hill on the upcoming Virginia elections next month. And, um, you know, potentially the all these uh, off presidential year elections in places like uh, Virginia, New Jersey, sometimes they're uh, canaries in the coal mine of what will happen in the subsequent year, what the sort of the issues are and, right. and the attitudes of of a cross section of voters. And so um, you specifically zeroed in on the issue of abortion and at least in Virginia that the Democrats are trying to get one more election cycle out of Dobbs.
12: So it's not one – and here's the thing. I think that this election is coming to you know, Chicago, to all of Illinois, to the rest of the country because they are test driving this message. Every ad that a Democrat is running in the Commonwealth of Virginia starts with MAGA extremists are looking to take away your right to choose. It is a cookie-cutter ad being run from everyone who is running from sheriff all the way up to state senate, which is the highest that's on the ballot right now, and – it's it's and my point is this and it starts in, in Virginia but it goes throughout the country is Republicans have decided to take a very defensive fetal position esque you know posture on this we are sitting back saying well we're only this guilty on the issue we only want to ban it up to 15 weeks or whatever and my point is why are we not putting Democrats on defense in in the Commonwealth of Virginia our last governor Ralph Northam who is a doctor literally said on radio, it's on audio tape on WTOP here in in the Northern Virginia area. He said, we wait for the baby to come out. We resuscitate it if necessary. And then we let the parents make a decision about what to do. That's called murder. And I don't know why we are sitting back, not making every Democrat answer for that position. Instead, we are trying to have a discussion amongst ourselves about what defensive posture is best. Instead of going on offense and making de- Democrats answer for their own position. And there's a, a state senator, Tran, here in um, in Captain Virginia Tran. that actually yeah. sponsored the legislation. And I'm like, this isn't just one errant comment. They acted on it. Why are we not putting them on defense? And yet they're all running around running these defensive ads saying, I only want to ban abortion up until the 15th week. It's like, dude, your opponent should be answering for the fact that their standard bearer wanted to kill a baby,
0: yeah, I, I, I completely agree that Republicans need to be uh, not spectators here. They, they, we need to be messaging on these issues. I, I would say in a, the whole parental authority uh, umbrella, if you will, um, the life issue, the uh, gender identity mutilation issue and parents being purposely left in the dark with with respect to minor children, uh, school choice. Uh, it should be all uh, sort of being messaged now so that in states that are swing states that are not going to be as easy to pick up as Louisiana or maybe even Kentucky, that uh, we are winning the arguments now in advance of the 90-day sprint come next fall. And, and I agree with you. I don't think Republicans are doing enough to make the ground fertile for their arguments on these cultural issues
12: exactly but the point is is that we need to be on offense not defense on all these issues And in Virginia we had the great playbook Glenn Youngkin our governor did a great job when he ran in 2021 of taking a cultural issue education when Terry McAuliffe made this massive gaffe about saying that parents shouldn't be involved and jammed it down every Democrat's throat well we should be doing the same thing now on abortion and saying here's your position instead when we know we have a winning playbook, we're taking a totally different view. And I just I think it's ridiculous.
0: Sean Spicer, former White House spokesman, host of the Sean Spicer Show on Apple Podcasts. Sean, thanks
2: as always.
12: Thanks, guys. Take care.
2: Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro Answer line.
1: Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, let's see. Uh, we're today, Yeah, we're right in the middle of Asexual Awareness Week. Uh, what color should I be wearing? Again, I'm, I'm not sure I can connect the colors to the, okay. the special weeks and days. Tomorrow, though, uh, make sure, mark your calendars if you're unaware, is Intersex Awareness Day.
2: <laughs> oh, I thought we, it was Donut Day.
0: Uh, then we get a little <laughs> five-day break, and then the entire month of November is Trans Awareness Month. Are you
2: kidding me? When did they the, pop no, that one No, I'm not kidding in. you. Wow. Okay. No,
0: I'm not kidding you. Um, so, I mean, against that backdrop, I mean, uh, Asexual Awareness Week, a uh, disturbing story out of uh, Hampshire, you know, there in Kane County. Yeah. Uh, the district superintendent is reconsidering a decision to post to uh, postpone Hampshire High School's spring musical, The Prom. Students are outraged about the decision to postpone it in the first place. Obviously, they are. Ainsley Bryson and her girlfriend, Belle, uh, Eckert said, this year's musical isn't a political agenda, but a representative reality. The plot of the prom is like literally what I live every day with like my girlfriend. Yeah, that sounds like somebody (laughs) in high school these days. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh Uh Um, Uh-huh. So should the the prom go on? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Why did they postpone it? Uh, I was just going to ask that. Yes, why? A great question. Thank you. Uh, The decision by the superintendent, Susan Harkin, to postpone was due to the belief that the community, quote, may not be prepared to fully support this performance without risking potential harassment, bullying, and violence targeting our LGBTQ plus students.
2: Well, if they were so worried about that, why did they agree to and already start practicing to do that in the first place?
0: Um mm. how about how about the commentary from your school superintendent on your families in that school district? What's the commentary there? Yeah, the 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 families in our school district are a bunch of uh hateful, intolerant rubes and so we're a little bit afraid of having to put this show on. By the way, the uh the like my girlfriend couple, mm-hmm. yeah. they were voted uh, homecoming oh, queen. queen.
2: queen
0: yeah. So um, the students are are apparently on board.
2: Yeah. They clearly don't have a problem with it.
0: um, Do you have a problem with it? I do. 312-642-5600,
2: turnkey.pro, answer line 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment.
0: Let me tell you about the prom in case you're not up on mediocre plays that uh, uh, didn't do very well on Broadway, even with the star power of James Corden, Meryl Streep, and Nicole Kidman. OK, uh, there was a I think they got nom- nominated for a Tony Award for best score or something like that. Um, what's the? So it, it's
2: the prom's about an LGBTQ plus girl. Right. But what's the real story?
0: Well, that's the well, well that's yeah, it is um, uh, a girl in Indiana plans to bring a girlfriend to their senior prom and wear a tuxedo. And the school, this is in Indiana where it takes place. And then uh, they're banned from attending by the school board. The challenge, uh, the challenge, the board's decision. The board decided to cancel the year's prom altogether. Then uh, the girl, one of the girls and the ACLU sewer school district, and so on and so on. Uh, blah blah blah. So you get the gist of it. It's not political, though.
2: No, of course not. And that would never happen. They would never cancel a prom because same-sex couple wants to go.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and Girls girl, go with girls all the time now, and a group of boys go all the time.
0: Um, yeah, so this is uh, this is an actual story from 2010 uh, out of Mississippi, uh, but I, I believe the play takes place in Indiana. The sort of you know literary license that was taken with it, regardless, uh, hardly the point. Um, first of all, I think it's interesting where the the react. The, first of the commentary on the postponement. Um, my the families in my school district are. Um,
2: Aren't ready for something like
0: that. Uh, w- the worse than that, they sh- She's uh, afraid. Uh, uh, she said the superintendent. She's afraid for the safety of her students. So they're not just intolerant; they're violent. They're violent in furtherance of their intolerance. If they see a play that uh, with this uh, plot, and they see LGBTQ plus students, that uh, bullying and violence will ensue. It's an interesting commentary on your families. Number one. Number two, that the response of has been, you know, to the postponement has been outraged from the people that this is supposed to protect because apparently they don't feel unsafe, which is a better commentary on the parents than the superintendent is providing. But in addition to that, um, is there any platforming of parents that have a problem with it or maybe there's no. No parents that have a problem with it in Hampshire. I don't know.
2: Well, one former student, Felicia Lascato, she graduated from Hampshire High School last year, and she played um, the gay character in the musical The Addams Family. And she said, I didn't receive any hate mail. I didn't receive any death threats. Why are they doing this?
0: Well, because they have this belief about, uh, you know, their small town families that the school district ostensibly was uh, built to serve. So that's one to make issue a problem
2: where there's not a problem
0: uh, the other well I have a problem okay I, if I was a know. parent there I'd yep. make a problem and the problem is the choice of the prom okay as the spring musical as I said it's a it's a play it's a mediocre play that did mediocre business even though it is you know it strikes all the right political notes and it had the star power on Broadway and yet it got a little bit of a tour for a couple of years and so on and so forth but it's not like it was cats. Um, not that that's not a mediocre play, too. Well, but it's um, got ma-
2: staying power.
0: Oh, of course. <laughs> um, uh, but this is the same conversation we have about uh, books in school or in school libraries. Um, I'm not saying ban the prom. You can't do uh, your uh, version of the prom. What I am saying is this is high art for high school. This is challenging students. This sort of cheap, you know, modern uh, paint-by-numbers musical um, or play. Um, I mean, of all the great playwrights, right. of all the great plays, uh, starting with Shakespeare, and you know, moving forward into the the great American playwrights of the twentieth century the Arthur Millers and the David Mamets and so many others, the Tennessee Williamses, um, this is what you choose. But it's not political. Of course it's political. Of course it's political. And it's interesting to me that um, probably there are some parents in Hampshire, in that Hampshire high school district, that are offended by what the superintendent said. Probably there are some that have the same position I have. It's not about banning anything. It's about... Uh, you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice about curriculum and what's going to be included, and necessarily that's going to exclude some things. You have to make a choice about the uh, shows that you put on, and that necessarily is, means that some things are going to be excluded. So, do you want them to perform the Tempest, or do you want them to perform the Prom?
2: Three one two six four two five six zero zero Turnkey Pro Answer Line. Six four six three six. Type in DA on our text line. It's a Dan and Amy. If you don't like the play, then don't go attend it. Hmm.
0: Um, that's an that's... idiotic statement. An unsurprising, but idiotic. Um, nobody has to go attend it. No one is. I'm I'm not suggesting anybody does. And I, as I said before, I'm not suggesting that it be uh, banished or something. You, no one can do a rendition of the prom because I don't like it. No answer my question that is the highest best use of the limited time you have for the presentation and the and challenging students uh with artistic sensibilities this is the best work because uh when you comes to your kids education do you want them challenged by some of the best some of the best material in every subject some of the uh Best authors in English literature, some of the best historians in American history, some of the best playwrights in the theater? Or do you want them to just do contrived political pap so that you can check that box? That's the question.
7: Mike in Milwaukee.
12: Hey, Dan and Amy, uh, I think we can synopsize this pretty quickly. We'll let, why don't we have Footloose and everybody cut, everybody cut. The same tap, just recycled.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks for the call, Mike. Yeah, I mean, the, it's just, it's it's so banal, so so stereotypical. I mean, it's just so droll, frankly. Uninteresting. But, hey, I don't know. Just I just saw it, thought it was interesting, um, thought, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the commentary, uh, on migrants from the great defenders of the migrants. Uh, you got a curfew and uh, you, we got to wand you good. before you go into, yeah. uh, uh, gimme dat tent city.
2: And welcome home by the way. Yeah, Cotton number yeah. three on the right. Thank you Enjoy for joining it. us. Yes, please. <laughs> Thank you. Follow our rules. And if you work the third shift, I'm sorry, you can't sleep here. Because uh, we shut the doors at 11. Oh, and we also have unarmed security guards out here. That's going to uh, work well with 2,000 people.
0: My 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 brain hurts with this stuff because, I don't know, people just um, – there are people who are shameless, and there are people who are beset by cowardice. And it's just such a bad combination when it comes to K-12 through education. Or anything else, really. Um, uh, re- another story just in the LGBTQ2S+++, in this Asexual Awareness Week. Uh, don't forget, again, Intersex Day is tomorrow. Intersex Awareness Day.
2: What are you going to wear?
0: Uh, a, a mediocre cross-country runner at a high school in Belfast, Maine, is now the fastest sophomore girl at the school. Oh <laughs> Actually, in I guess in the conference. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, While representing Coast Waldorf High School in uh, uh, Freeport, this uh, dude, Soren Stark Chessa, last year came in 25th place where he ran as a freshman boy and 14th place at another regional. But uh, since he uh, uh, identified as a female, things are going a lot better. Uh, At the end of September, he took fifth place at the Festival of Champions in the female category a time that would have ranked him 162nd if he had raced in the male category. One week later, he took first place, uh, beating the fastest female runner by nearly two minutes. October 21, Stark Chessa seized the title of fastest sophomore girl at a regional high school cross-country championship, completing the 3.1-mile course more than 80 seconds faster than his female competitors.
2: And that's fair. And that's Uh, equality.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, Right. Uh, Eventually,
2: women's sports is going to be gone. It's the beginning of the end of women's sports.
0: Well, it won't be gone. It's just you won't have women winning the Reimagined, right, Dan? No, you just won't have women winning the events anymore. That's all. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I say. I mean, combine the WNBA.
2: Just forget about our competitive nature. That's all right. We'll just take a back seat. It's okay. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And um, this is all under the umbrella, as we were talking about with Spicy, all under the umbrella of parents' rights, all under the umbrella of do you respect and demand respect for the parental authority that you have over your children? Do you want to continue underwriting high schools like this one in Maine? high schools like that one in hampshire i mean it's fine if you do i suppose and the degradation of the culture will continue uh, unobstructed and um you'll be surprised at how ill-equipped for the real world your kids are dan and amy chicago's morning answer hear about the big stories
1: of the day then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
0: Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773 467 5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.